Hello, humans, and welcome to another episode of Tending Trauma with me, your host, Thomas F. Weber. Today, we're joined by Ibrahim Sharkes. Uh, welcome. Welcome, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, and uh, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. So um, would you take a second and introduce yourself to the audience? I would love to. So to start off, I'm going to use your words, Thomas. I'm a human, as a lot of other humans are probably listening to this right now. So I can relate to a lot of you on a lot of different levels, as we all can, to each other. Um, My background has been in psychology primarily for most of my life. I've had the opportunity of doing my undergraduate work in clinical psychology with another emphasis on religious studies. And now I'm spending majority of my time in front of a computer, as a lot of people are probably listening to this recording or doing the same, um, completing my graduate work in the space of positive psychology. So super excited. The ultimate goal in the few months is taking on one-on-one clients and supporting them to getting them to a better place of wherever that better place look like on a one-on-one therapeutic level. So that's a little bit about me. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, um, and you, you also have like a, I, I know you're very active. You have like a, a site where you're helping, helping people. Um, can, oh, yeah. can you describe a little bit more about that? Love, yeah, I would love to. So um, throughout my program, we've really been starting to research um, a lot of tendencies and a lot of information that's coming out from hotlines specifically. Mm-hmm. We're noticing a large uptick, at least based on the clinicians and a lot of the PhD students that are completing this research. Um, there's a large uptick in people looking up hotlines because of peak anxiety, suicide, suicide ideations, but we're not noticing a lot of information out there prior to the peak of actually happening, where there can be supportive communities hmm. in a way that supports technology. And you know, nowadays with a level of, I want to say a smaller level of isolation where people don't really have that much access to go directly to a lot of other community services that used to that they honestly could have done a year or two years ago fully accessible um i started out a program it's a nonprofit actually it's called daily drop of love where we focus fully on doing almost like little text messages every day with mm-hmm. daily actions to support a new a newness and a new refreshing perspective on gratitude a deepening of self-awareness a deepening level of love and deepening level of humility within one's life prior to any peak existential experiences happening. So it's an amazing community. Um, it's completely nonprofit. There's nothing that we sell. It's you just opt in with a number. Um, and I always have the number in front of me because my brain is a lot of times fried from remembering a lot of information throughout yeah, my day. Of course. Yeah, the number is 202-918-3327. Um, and again, if somebody wants just to have that daily level of support, because I know, and I know Thomas, you probably know this as well, having a supportive community can be so beneficial to one's development, mm-hmm. especially one that's oozing with love and oozing with gratitude. It just, it's its almost like a pillar or a light upon a road of darkness that one wants to travel. So that's the whole mission. We're actually currently in the process of looking for grants to fund mm-hmm. us a little bit more um, and also teaming up with therapists, clinicians, and people within different avenues of alternative healing to be supportive in that community and send out messages every day for free directly to your phone. Wow. That's, Hopefully that yeah, helps that's, explain that. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty helpful. Yeah. And, and um, definitely like it can be a frustrating aspect of like working with people one-on-one that, you know, there is like a, a huge um, component of having friendship of having community that is so important for healing. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I agree with you hundred percent. And I had a conversation, I think about two weeks ago or three weeks ago 
and I found it odd. I live in Northern New Jersey, so I'm right mm. by New York City. And we are a city of bridges and roads that have so many potholes and so much dings and pings everywhere. And I took a moment and paused and looking out of my window and today it's actually, fortunately it's snowing. So I have a beautiful snowstorm in mm. urban suburbia out of my window. And I really took a gander at a bridge that's right on the bottom of my street. And there was an issue with this bridge that lasted for years. And it was so unfortunate that they, they waited until the point actually escalated till it was completely damaged in order for, mm. for repair to be done. So just like Daily Drop of Love, I don't think, I do not think it's ethical, nor from a loving based perspective that a mental health practitioner or a therapist or anybody at that matter who yeah. just wants to serve humanity to level, we shouldn't wait till the emergency room moment comes to help somebody out for support mm. for community. So that's where a lot of this comes from. So I really want to be a vessel and a vehicle to bring back people to a space of love and remembrance of who they truly are and in, in all that they are always. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I love that you're, you, you, you strike me as really, really motivated to, to work on this. Is there, I mean, can you point to anything that, that inspired you or, or any like broad sense that inspired you to Oh yeah, that, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's so much inspiration that inspiration or motivation or, or some, some inkling of any other positive virtue that must've happened throughout my life. Yeah. And I can definitely pinpoint it to a multitude of experiences. Um, at the lowest point in my life, when I felt purposeless in the ventures that I was doing, yeah, I felt that my identity was my job or my vocation. Mm-hmm. I was, I was robbed of um, an aspect of love that I always knew of who I truly was based on an identity crisis, based on the anxiety, based on the trauma that essentially escalated because I didn't know who I really was. I didn't know the being that I, that I truly was. What, what the thing that actually worked for me really, really well was finding somebody in the mental health space. Um, that was a psychotherapist that guided me and walked me through processes of meditation, processes of mm-hmm. grounding myself. Um, in, in such an a immersive therapeutic experience where he came in, not just prescribing, but having me identify me personally choosing this specific path. Yeah. But by me yeah. also choosing this specific path, I have the same powers within myself to choose a level of empowerment and responsibility to tread along a little bit better and lighter. And that relationship was probably one of the most solidifying relationships um, that I still am connected with this person today. Uh, His name is Dr. Carlos Warder. I love him to life. I always, I never say pieces. I love him to life. (laughs) And, uh, and for, for me, that level of remembrance at its core brought me to this path today. I remember when I was doing my undergraduate work, I left my first year of attempting grad school and it just didn't feel right. And I worked on a farm. I think I worked on a farm for about two years or three years, a biodynamic farm on and off. Sure, sure. So completely different than therapy, like a complete 180 almost, farming from, you know, mental health. And throughout that process, I started fluctuating with identity. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know Mm. why I wanted to do this. It seemed as if I was in school chasing an accolade. Mm. It seemed as if I wanted to do certain things to achieve a specific level of recognition because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So now fast forward to the fantastic year of 2020, the most (laughs) interesting year of, of, I think that I've ever had the opportunity of living Mm -hmm. so far in my life. I'm putting myself in the position, whether it be motivation or inspiration to bring that level of remembrance and almost like light bulb moment that struck not my mind, but struck a chord in my heart 
that just expanded, ever expanded and ever opened it to give back to society where I know a lot of people need this because a lot of people were in the same position. They were struggling with anxiety. They were struggling with identity. And I think with the tools and resources and the technology that we have today, we can, we can build a bridge to that gap to solidify and develop a level of healing like never before. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> that's very, that's very inspiring. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of had your own, um, you had your own identity confusion and, and, and this person helped you to grow in, in a, in a way that helped you to go beyond just, uh, having, having like a, a like a, a base level of mental health. You, you kind of had, um, you, your own, you, you could write your own, um, future. Right. Right. So it, it went beyond the base level. And it's interesting that you bring up the base level, um, and the start of our call, which wasn't recorded, but the start of our call, we said, I think we said, how are you feeling? And I said, at a scale of one to 1098. Mm-hmm. So it, it's as if now I'm at a level of freedom that I've always knew was possible, but a lot of things were blinding me that were self-imposed by me that yeah. I put as obstacles in my own way. And the work really was unworking a lot of things that I implemented and, and just put on, whether it was based on early childhood trauma Sure. Um, social circles that I consciously chose to surround myself with or trading my time for things that really weren't benefiting me in any which way possible. And the unwork that happened brought me, honestly brought me to the place in the space that I'm in today to give a level of service to people from a level of compassion, not a, not a space of accolades. And, you yeah. know, call it by the grace of God, the grace of the universe, the grace of all the Lords under the sun, um, that level of grace kind of filled up my path. And I'm, I'm I truly want to walk that path every single step that I take, interacting with every single person, whether it's the amazing Thomas Weber to <laughs> Joyce to Joyce from the UK that sure. I would be working within a few months. I just want to have that level of compassion present always. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you, 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 you speak as if someone who has the has found a way to have their cup overflow. I I think so. And you want to know the caveat to that, to that statement. Please, yeah, I, I love, love the too. and I love the caveat whatever you can see in me is a direct reflection of you. So if someone who's listening to this call or if somebody that, you know, comments or connects with me and then you, Thomas, Thomas, whoever say, Oh my gosh, you know, that call, that conversation was great. I see so much in me through you. Then they have the same basic principles, whether it be lightness, compassion, humility, love within themselves, it's fully present. I do not believe we can see something out in this world by observation or a sense of call it intuition from a non-psychological sense, intuition that they themselves do not have. So thank you for seeing a level of light and compassion within me because it is fully present within you. So I love you for that. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you're, you're getting your, um, you said your, your PhD. Yeah, it's going to be a L7. So it's a master's and I'm just going to tread forward probably with a PhD and just bite the bullet and keep going. I don't know. If maybe <laughs> so I'm like, hey, I'm here already. Let's just yeah. keep so the rolling. So you're on the path. Yeah. So you, you've done some thinking about like what direction you want to go in. Right. Um, and you, you maybe mentioned before the call that you were interested in um, character strengths. Is right. that is, is that kind of like within the realm of where you want to go or is there like a, a better way to articulate it? Yes. Yeah, so great question. For me, the uh, theory that I'm really spending most of my time with right now is positive psychology. And mm-hmm. for anybody who's not um, familiar with positive psychology, 
it was a coined term by Martin Seligman way back when. And Martin Seligman was the president at one point, I, if I'm, I may be mistaken, but I believe he was the president at one point of the APA, the American Psychological Association. Now, positive psychology is a little bit different than referencing traditional, maybe Jungian therapy or traditional other forms of therapy, because it's yeah. focused on really trying to understand what are the core positive strengths that one has and how can somebody who may be suffering from depression or let's say peak moments and peak anxiety yeah. develop this level of resilience within themselves? What are these virtues that we truly have? What are these strengths that we actually have? Mm-hmm. So a part of me fell in love with this theory. And again, it's just a tool within my tool belt that I can use to assess and nice. help people find these strengths within themselves. I'm not married. I'm not married to any theory. Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, yeah. And I think a lot of people nowadays, you know, I'm right out of New York. I know a lot of therapists who are so, um, and you might know, you might know this as well. They're so locked into the context of yeah. the knowledge that they've learned in grad school or their PhD and they're stuck with it. I am so unstuck and so <laughs> open to the mm-hmm. possibilities that this is just one tool. If I go to Home Depot today and I say, hey, you know, me and Thomas are going to build a house. Great. What do we need? Oh, I only need a screwdriver. If somebody doesn't look at me crazy, wait, what about a hammer? What about boards? What about wood? No, no, I just need a screwdriver. It doesn't work. A human being, a human being and humankind, kind, I'm stressing the word kind, need approach in my humble opinion from a practitioner standpoint with an aptitude of kindness where the practitioner, teacher, healer, uh, uh, you know, somebody being the Vedas, somebody who's studying Ayurveda, whatever the modality that the person wants to use, they need to remember a divine level of remembrance of understanding where that person is at, their level of consciousness and their aptitude thereof. Also understanding and breaking down their life story prior, mm. prior to signifying and submitting a theory that they think is going to actually stick, actually stick to them. So my personal belief is that positive psychology is just a great tool. I'm not married to it. Yeah. And it's a great tool of analysis to essentially take somebody who was in the same position that I was five, six years ago, where I was clueless. I was at a low point in my life. If I only knew and understood resilience, if I only knew and understood humility, if I only knew and understood uh, spirituality to a sense, living, living a duty of life outside of who I actually am, things would have stuck together better. Would I have known positive psychology then? Absolutely not. It wouldn't have been applicable, Yeah. but I could understand the tonality of the path that I would embark on. It would take me where I wanted to get to. So yeah. for me, I love that aspect of playing with it. Another aspect that I'm pursuing also uh, slowly, but surely, and it was supposed to start this year, but with COVID um, things got kind of strange with, with lockdowns is core energetics. And, and oh, sure. are you familiar with core energetics? I'm not, I'm not but it sounds, uh, it sounds relevant. Yeah. Core energetics take, it's a body-based approach to therapy. And a lot of times with Wilhelm, I, I don't know if you're ever f- familiar with Wilhelm Reich or Alexander Lowen. Not, not, not right now. Yeah. I don't, okay. don't, don't remember those names. Okay. But. Yeah. No problem. Yes. Yeah, so with Alexander Lowen, he had a term called uh, bioenergetics mm-hmm. and es- essentially in a few sentences, people would trap trauma within their body. And yeah. as silly as that may sound to somebody, it's not, it's not silly. Yeah. So it can look as like the hunchback. You can see it's just certain things that happen. And it's so lovely to have a conversation with you, Thomas, because you're like, yeah, like I totally see. It's refreshing to hear. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my, hallelujah. The Lord's are listening. So things are working. So with core energetics, it's just another tool as well that I want to use to navigate to work with people. So 
Yeah, I love that. You know, I, you know, speaking about like the, the idea of having, you know, each modality is kind of like a condensation of like, it's like an analogy, right? It's going to be imperfect, maybe helpful, right? But, but, a, but, a, but a screenshot, like a two dimensional screenshot of a third dimensional image. Right. And, Absolutely. And it really is helpful to have like uh, an encompassing, you know, a few modalities to be able to bounce between as a practitioner, because it can help you to no, you know, be able to, because, you know, right. If you have a stick, you're just going to start, you know, you know, if you have a hammer, you're just going to start treating things like a hammer. Absolutely. And, uh, and when you have like a, an understanding of a few different modalities, then that can really help you to see um, something from a different perspective. And right. I absolutely agree with you. You know, I've had a, a few other guests, but I also, you know, done, done my own research that absolutely, you know, um, there is a body mind connection and um, right like my understanding now is that like the body um, does keep a lot of trauma and uh, you know, yes. there's, there are proven modalities that are very physical um, that um, work on both complex CPTSD or sorry, just CPTSD, complex PTSD and uh, PTSD and um, you know, relieving anxiety and stuff. And uh, it's because um, of the where trauma is stored. I agree hundred percent. I fully agree and support everything you just said. 1000% mm. certified. <laughs> yeah. And, and then to, to speak, you know, about when you're, when you're helping someone, you know, when, when you are focusing on like what not to do when you're trying to back away from negatives um, there's, there's this sense of uh, a lack of, a lack of motivation, you know, a lack of like, why am I doing this? Right. Um, it gets kind of hard for people. And like you're saying with like the, you know, positive psychology and, and finding people's core strengths and finding, finding ways in which um, someone can feel empowered from their own abilities. Um, that's definitely a great way of like kind of helping someone find that motivation that's necessary to get through um, the stress of um, whatever it is transitioning through, you know, from one place to another place. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting stuff. I know, um, I've heard of, um, Gallup and, uh, you know, Myers-Briggs, but, um, I, I know that Myers-Briggs is not necessarily strength-based. Right. And very similar to like disc assessments and all that jazz. There's oh, so yeah. many, the beauty is there's so many, um, assessments on one's personality right. persona to a specific degree. And there was a book I'm going to turn around. So, because nobody can see us. So I'm turning around, <laughs> I get to look at my books because there was one book yeah. that was written called who am I? And it was all in personality types of for self-discovery. And it was written way, way back then. And it's examining people like Ram Dass, Helen Palmer, Liz Green, mm. Deepak wow. Chopra, Sun Bear, Sigmund Ford, Carl Jung, from mm. a huge wide approach. And the culmination of that work, where it kind of drew me to question one key topic is the person who crafted and created these assessments, where were they at? <laughs> You know, what vantage point did they sure. do to craft this? Was it, how were they able, maybe, and I may be completely incorrect, were they able to craft this from the observer standpoint, not from their identity or their persona? Were they able to craft it from that space? Or were these personality assessments built based on the things that they had or a lack thereof? So I'm not it's necessarily- yeah, that, and that's why for me, and you know, I'm a whole. This is a recorded whole, whole um, advocacy of what I'm about to say again. Mm. I'm not married to something. If the sure. tool works for the situation, 
fantastic, especially if it brings and bridges a level of love yeah. back into the, in the person that somebody wants to care for. Amazing. This life is lighter and the life is lighter for that person. And if we lead our lives in the level of service, not staying trapped in our accolades, um, degrees, theories, and we're, we're really trying to pull at a level of service from one heart to another, this world will be such a fantastic place. I promise that. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah. The question you ask and, and how much you've been applying, um, uh, survey, you know, to, to get like clinic, clinical results, like clinical surveys of how, how things are applying themselves. Like, it's interesting how, what direction you're taking it in to try and like find, uh, you know, a through line that, that is more as, as a foundation for you. Yeah. And I'm noticing that I always ask myself when times get tough and I know, um, Tom, I know you, you've been in school. I don't know if you're still, are you still in, in, in university as well right now, currently? Or I'm no? not. No. Yeah. So I know you remember how university must have felt in education. It must have been like taxing and so much information left and right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, my experience was that uh, I found that the education didn't really, um, I didn't feel like I had a good, strong grip on the direction it was going in. I right. felt like the information I was getting was not necessarily oriented around what I wanted to learn. Right. And one thing on that, what I've been noticing, especially in the educational market, there's one woman that's um, currently in our program. I think she's from Qatar or Kuwait, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is from an educational scope, which we had a conversation on, and I brought this up before as well. Yeah. Um, another call that I had with someone we're in a society where we're being taught what to think and we're not developing the skills of how to think. Right. And, and that's a big, that, that's a big thing. And a lot of problems that we can see now is because we're so, there's a level of stuckness and rigidity. Absolutely. Even though, even though things actually have to change, whether we want, it needs change has to happen. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I want to allude to outside of that is, is this, the reasoning behind the things that I'm doing it comes down to an interest and not necessarily a peak interest of mastery, but a peak interest into understanding who we really are, hmm. of who are we really? When we say, I feel X, Y, and Z, I think X, Y, and Z, who really is I? Who is that persona we're actually taking on? And with the level of self-analysis, a self-analysis with a level of awareness, again, with a level of, and I can't stress this, humility and self-regulation, we can start piecing together certain things of our identity far beyond motherhood, fatherhood. I'm a brother. I'm a sister. I'm a podcaster. I'm a therapist. I'm a yogi. I'm a siddhi. I'm a vinyasi. I'm a whatever it is that we want to say that we are mm -hmm. because we have a level of depth in our rationale and understanding. So what pulled me to understand psychology or wanting to learn more about psychology and philosophy mm -hmm. is that core remembrance of who we really are. Are. Once one has a taste of who they truly are, the perspective of life starts to change. Things go from black and white to 8K color. <laughs> you know, it just a, a, such a dramatic shift starts to occur, and life just flows a little bit more effortlessly despite things really changing that much. Yeah, that's interesting how a perspective can make the difference between depression and upliftedness. Absolutely. And I remember at the lowest point in my life when I was depressed and the months that follow, and I remember the feeling, the feeling when I felt lifted. Hmm. 
it was as if I went from a black and white TV to a color TV. That's the analysis that I always share with people. Yeah. And I, I remember distinctively being on a call with a good, good friend of mine. And I showed up in the call. I was beaming, beaming light, beaming, so radiant, happy, wow. excited. Yeah. And I was saying, oh my gosh, things are amazing. Life is fantastic. It's wonderful. I've never lived a life like this. And he immediately says, oh man, what happened? <laughs> that question caught me off guard. Dude, I dude. looked out of my window and I said, you know, I'm sitting at the same desk. I'm doing the mm -hmm. same things. Nothing really did change. Mm -hmm. But it's as if life reverted and shifted in a different color. This holographic reality, call it three, four, 3D, four-dimensional, four third-dimensional reality, whatever the reality we're truly living yeah. in based on a person's perspective, shifted. Mm. And it's remarkable. So if somebody's facing depression or got out of depression and had that sensation, based on what I said, it probably is like, yes, that was just like that too. I can relate to that. So my hope is to essentially clear up up a lot of uh, attachments that people have hmm. to give them the balance to see the world as it always was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder what it is, you know, that, that, that ends up, I, I heard that it's kind of like usually a compilation of layers of lots of things that, you know, one day ends up clicking, you know, into place for, for people. Yeah. It was remarkable. It was the most interesting moment. I, I like I, the most it's, it sounds the most worth interesting it. thing. Yeah. It sounds, sounds recommendable. <laughs> yeah. Feeling light and love is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so in your, like, as you're, as you're like exploring this, this, uh, this um, interest, like the, as you're studying stuff <clears throat> is, is what you're trying to apply, like trying to figure out how to, um, focus in on people's strengths as a way to help them to unlock the, this like level of, of, uh, of, uplift, of upliftedness. Yeah. So that's one way and one path, but okay. again, it, yeah, it's, I, yes. Sure. And another factor is always to make sure that there's a level of lightness mm -hmm. in a way that somebody can build upon these strengths to just function in a little bit of a lighter way throughout life. Okay. And when anxiety comes up, they've built up the muscle again for the strength of resilience where they know that it's not the end all be all. And they have tools on their tool belts um, outside of pharmacology, outside of any other thing that they can tap into internally because they've built that muscle up already. Case in point, going through the characters as one variant of that. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important. You know, I think that um, for a long time, there hasn't really been an emphasis on, um, independence, you know, ind independently, right. um, strong character building, you know, and, and, in an, in a individual level of, um, understanding how to empower themselves. Right. Um, it seems like it's kind of been missing from society and almost in some ways, um, like with, you know, segregation and, uh, you know, um, racism, like blocked from some people. Right. Um, so, I mean, have, have you um, noticed any challenges yet in, in your research? Um, a big one for me is connecting. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by spirituality. Mm. I'm really fascinated by spirituality across the domain. Mm -hmm. And one concept that I was looking through was Mithra and Zoroaster um, the past few, uh, maybe two months, two months, two and a half months 
as of now, it's to connect it with the lens of humanity. I truly believe in the myths that we have, you know, riddled across earth of stories of hope, of stories of perseverance, of stories of conflict, of stories of love, of stories of remembrance, divine remembrance at that. There's tools littered in these myths that we can take through science and articulate it in a philosophical way and mm -hmm. bridge it within psychology as a healing modality. Um, I'm a big believer that the stories that are riddled throughout theology echo healing to yeah. a certain degree, not from the you know black and white standpoint, but from more of a mythic reading, more of a mystical understanding of that. Right. Um, I know right. there's a lot of modern, you know, there's an, almost a, a resurgence of the psychedelic 60s, you know, coming about now where there's more people trying to study it, whether you look at an institute like MAPS out of San Francisco, and there's even more people who are studying shamanistic methods in, you know, Peru, in uh, Mexico, overseas to the certain degree. And it's fascinating because they're trying to take these mystic traditions, modernize it with an approach that Jung was trying to do, sure. that Freud was trying to do. And that's a beautiful thing. When you're combining myths, philosophy with psychology, yeah. you're going to find the middle child and a new new floral, new something would be birthed out of that. Mm -hmm. And that birth would heal human humanity and take them to a different level of exploration or remembrance. Does that, yeah, that's, that that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in that. Um, yeah. And just to, just to add on to what you were saying, like Oregon just legalized um, psilocybins for um, therapeutic um, practices. Um, so it's, there's a lot that's, that, you're right. There is a lot that's going on and things that are changing, but yeah, I'm, I am really curious, you know, because as a, as humanity, we've gone through many different like cultural iterations, like, and, and out, from out of those um, cultural clusters have, have come great philosophers and um, spiritual writers and leaders. And, um, and, and yeah, there, there have been a lot of like lessons learned from those times that, um, you know, I, I think like even, even from a level of uh, language barriers has haven't really been translated into the, the minds and hearts are around the world, you know, like it is someone in Chile um, get benefiting from um, the, the great philosophers of India. Like I, I right. don't, it, it's, it's unlikely, but um, so, so that that's brilliant, you know, taking that, that pursuit of um, trying to condense and, and uh, transform that work into something more digestible. Yeah. And I know you brought up challenge and with what you described with the Chilean seeking maybe is are they seeking information from the vedas or the vedantas you know we don't, yeah. I don't know i haven't asked every chilean you know to know <laughs> that answer, but uh, an interesting challenge that came up for me and i asked i brought this up to my teacher and he said it in such a profound way simple but profound i was struggling writing a thesis and the thesis's title is called exploring spirituality from the lens of humanity and humanity based on Seligman's theory is uh, love, it's humility, and it's uh, social intelligence. And it, I found it hard to say, how can I actually even begin to cite these spiritual works? Are, are they reputable in the scientific community? Or are they just philosophical, you know, yeah. philosophical works? And that's all they can actually sue for. Right. How does one actually cite this stuff from a research basis, research yeah. standpoint? And I said, clearly, how can I bring it down to to their level for them to see and understand it. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's where I'm wrong. And I said, well, what, where was I wrong? Yeah. He said, you said, bring it down to their level. If you want to have compelling research that 
allows the masses to see something in a different vantage point. You don't bring something down to their level. You have to uplift it and uplift them along the way to see it from a different altitude. So yeah. with, with emerging research in psilocybin, you know, with Oregon uh, legalizing it, I think Colorado as well, okay. we're going to mm-hmm. see a slew of research, you know, come mm-hmm. out from, you know, the fifties, the sixties to books that are philosophical in nature that talk about, you know, medicinal work and in, in ceremonies. Mm-hmm. We, if the scientist now and the researcher comes out, the psychiatrist, the scientists, the philosophers have a bond, amazing researchers can actually start coming out of that. I, I guarantee it. To whatever guarantee that I can give it, I know for sure that it would happen <laughs> if the bridge is built between the three. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like I liked what what your what your mentor said about trying to bring bring it up to a level. Yeah, it's and it's interesting too. You know, like writing things like who you who what audience are you are you like trying to reach, and it you know depends um, what what sort of level you can you can write it to and what sort of translation you need to have it have it be at. Yeah. For the thesis, it's the academic community. So mm-hmm. sometimes it can be uh, challenging to write on this, on their scale and using their metrics. Yeah. Um, for masses so far, I've been fascinated with poetry. <laughs> I've been fascinated with writing poetry. I just, I published my third book uh, recently. Thank you so much. And I, I'm fascinated with this scope of poetry. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a fantastic art form and a medium that I've been able to tap into to mm-hmm. express these notions that I felt, whether it be something as um, simplistic or massive as love, because it can elude us or it can be right in front of our faces. <laughs> Sometimes we yeah. miss it. We miss the mark. So I found poetry being a remarkable medium. If somebody studies Rumi or his teacher, Shams Tabrizi, we can start to understand and see how, you know, the Sufis at one point, mm-hmm. Islamic call it Islamic mysticism, bridge the gap between theology by curating and craft it with the essence of poetry. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. So I've been finding a level of love to write for mass consumption mm-hmm. through the medium of poetry because it's easier than citing APA uh, 150 citations for somebody to look through to get the point. The point. So yeah. I'll use poetry yeah. to convey it faster. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, poetry is a great way to condense a, 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 val- a, a meaning of something into something that's like much, much easier to uh, consume. Yes, I agree. I agree fully. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder, you know, like I'm, I'm really excited, you know, based off, based off what you're describing, based off what you're interested in, you know, what, what you end up developing, right. You've already maybe stumbled upon um, in terms of like finding those key, um, key, learning points that you can trans translate into a into poetry that that translates into someone being able to absorb and 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 help and might help them transform as a person i'm looking forward to it too so patience has been a big teacher for me and gentleness along the way and mostly gentleness on myself and self-forgiving has been an important principle too throughout the process yeah i mean Speaking, I mean, I, I'm I'm curious um, what your perspectives are since you have like um, a religious studies background. Like, what you have, if you if you know of anything in terms of the the challenges that these people face, you know, these these philosophers that we now take today for granted, you know, um, as like published authors and and well known um, in terms of like them spreading the word um, in in their own cultures. Yeah, one thing that I've noticed, and I may be wrong, and this is a self uh, self analysis or a self sure. a, a personal perspective and a self analysis of what yeah. I'm reading, is uh, 
a lot of individuals who were claimed to be teachers, call it, mm. you know, from, from the original ones like Aristotle and Plato and a lot of their students as well, to uh, Shams Tabrizi and Rumi, because they're teachers in their own right for a specific um, accent of Sufism, school of Sufism, mm -hmm. to Christ, to Muhammad, to um, things that we even find in Kabbalistic cultures and Kabbalistic teachers, the Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. The thing that I'm noticing, and I can be wrong here, is uh, a lot of the teachers, they're teaching to keep a lesson and a moral compass ever evolving. Interesting. The thing that gets stuck is sometimes the students remain on the teacher's perspective rather than synthesizing it and making it their own to mm. keep the teaching evolving, always growing, always growing. Interesting, yeah. And the stuckness in my eyes is appearing as almost fundamentalism. Yeah. You know, that's happening in a, in, a, in a very ravaged kind of grasp. This is the truth. This is the truth. Right. Rather than soaking in the mythos, soaking in the lessons, soaking in the teaching, soaking in the work, yeah. combining with love and combining with a modernistic approach of our ever-evolving culture mm. and bringing it up with us as if I'm pulling a tissue from the center, letting it all rise yeah. together. If God in myths, if God in uh, in in theories and theology, in theology is almost represented as an ever expansive being mm -hmm. of light, of love, of infinite, infinite nature, then the lessons and the teachings must always remain as well from the teacher to student and always and always and on and on and on. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's really respectable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I think that um, there does, there does tend to be some attachment to like old teachings, you know, that, you know, once a teacher, great teacher dies, that they're Okay, close the book and no more, no more writing in it and no more evolution. Um, and uh, it's it maybe in some ways kind of sad that, you know, they, the teacher might not have wanted to see it go that way. Um, right. Right. And you can see, I mean, I can, I don't know if it's a truth, but there's sometimes that I want to sit and ask somebody like Wilhelm Reich, you know, and I, I admire Reich's work a lot mm -hmm. in the world of psychotherapy, not everything, but there's some things that are pretty important principles that I think he brought forward. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes some of his theories are still locked and, and sedentary mm. and they really haven't evolved. And I look at myself, it's like, man, it wasn't, I don't think, and I don't feel it was supposed to stay stuck when this man was around, when he was here, we didn't have no social media. We didn't have instant gratification of tech and all these things yeah. that must have an implicit, implicit, uh, uh, stagnation or issue that's related to our own development now where new theories and new work has to be evolved on the shoulders of the other theories that are present. So for me, that that notion of ever expansiveness comes with the responsibility of learning. If I'm choosing this level of work to work with people, I wholeheartedly hope that anybody who is a therapist, a mental health practitioner, mm -hmm. shaman, alternative healer, so many modalities one can go really dig deep and ask them, ask themselves that question. Are you stuck with the yeah. beliefs that you have? And are you taking more of a cookie cutter approach with everybody that you cross paths with? Or are you seeing them for where they truly are? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really key, but you know, there's a big challenge, a big challenge because that, that principle is integrated at almost every level of at least, at least Western culture, you know, like even uh, within like the therapeutic modalities, you know, the DSM, five is a way of diagnosing people. Um, yes. However, um, there's been um, conversation in the community about how 
something like CPTSD might change um, and, and condense that book um, in significantly, um, so significantly that it would have implications on um, the way therapy operates um, from a from a systemic or from like a you know policy and from systemic oh, yeah. um, reasons. But you know, it, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't shift. It is just challenging because we've we've kind of crafted ourselves around. Um, the way it work, is working now. And I think that applies to a lot of different systems that we've just kind of like built them up as the one-time solution without thinking about how we were going to deconstruct and, and recycle the, uh, the materials and use them again. And uh, I mean, obviously it has a lot, a lot of implications for like, you know, how our society is garbage and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I, really re I really do respect, respect, respect that perspective. Yeah, me too. And honestly, you hit the nail on the head. So we use that hammer. <laughs> we use that hammer wide. Yeah. So, so Ibrahim, I'm just curious, like, what, what do you think, um, where, where do you think, um, though, like in the minds of people or in, or in the, the, the policies of, of, of groups, um, is, is that, do you, do you think that's going to like have the most, um, leverage like that, that change in, in perspective? Um, I think the change that I can only think until I see it emerge, but a part of me deeply, deeply knows, but I have to validate it in the world to see if it's, if it's the truth. It's to me, reminding each other in this world, again, humankind, may yeah. we have the strength and courage to empathically and through the lens of empathy, fully through the lens of empathy, see each other from our standpoints. One, two, may we serve each other in our communities beyond a space of degrees and diplomas. Mm -hmm. Can we go to a point now where our neighbors, our, our social circles and our friends are ever expansive as one thing, one humankind, one human entity mm -hmm. and care for each other level of love and decency and truly seeing each other fully for not as uh, an ethnicity, for not as just a culture, for not just as a religion, for not just as a color, for not just as a beard or no beard. May we see each other's as an extension of that, which is truly infinite and always going. Yeah. Three, uh, meditating. And I'm gonna say, that's a very big word that's being thrown yeah. around a lot. Sure, sure. And the way that I wanna look at it in this lens is, may we have the courage of sitting still internally with ourselves mm. prior to feelings of escalation. Mm. May we have the courage of just taking a second and checking in on ourselves daily, every single day, as much as we possibly can with the time that we have in this life to say, am I, is this the right thing that I'm doing right now? Yeah. Do I really feel that this is the right thing? Why do I feel that this is the right thing? And that's the angle that I want to come from meditation. Whether somebody is yeah. doing, you know, Vipassana, if somebody's doing, um, you know, tantric work, or if somebody's doing any other form of breathwork, holotropic breathwork, as an example, those are just tools to just pause and time out. So whatever tool that we need to just pause our minds, our, our, our level of thinking and our thoughts mm -hmm. is important. So I think in life, if those layers are forming, mm. again, stitched together with love, remarkable things will happen on our planet. Remarkable okay. things will happen yeah. on our planet. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's so much potential out there that's just yet to be unlocked that, uh, you know, a lot of people are suffering when 
Um, right. You know, mirror, you know, it's, it's not mirror, but a perspective change would uh, right. have a big impact on that. And yeah, I, I, I love how your answer is kind of like from a, from a cultural perspective and, and you have yourself poised as like, you're already working on this nonprofit that, that is like aiming around like a building com- culture and building community. Like, I think that's really, right. really smart. And then also, you know, you're, you're working on your degree and using that to, to apply like scientific methods to um, validate your, your, your um, inclinations and um, test it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with those, those four layers. Um, I, I look forward, you know, I, I think that's um, the perfect application for you and to like, you know, keep growing your community and seeing how those, um, those beliefs and those values can, can apply into, um, you know, compounding and building up and, and potentially uh, merging with other communities that are, that, that want to benefit from that same philosophy. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Okay. Well, um, yeah, it was um, wonderful to have you. I really appreciated you being here. Um, is there anywhere, I know you mentioned the, the phone number in the beginning and your website. Um, is there anywhere else that uh, you wanted to remind the audience to, if they wanted to connect with you, where they could go? The best way to go is dailydropoflove.org if they miss that phone number and you can get all the information about that. Um, for those who are looking to have a daily gratitude practice or just have a little bit more light every single day and surround themselves with a positive community. It's a totally free service. I'm a huge advocate for that because I know the importance that it's done for me in my life. Um, and, uh, but if somebody is listening to this right now and they're at a point of escalation, find help, seek help, seek guidance, um, find the suicide hotline. Um, I'm pretty sure the number will be listed maybe in the info, you know, on, on this actual podcast if they need that. Um, but there's services out there and there's so many people ready to serve. And I hope Daily Drop of Love can be one of those vessels and vehicles to help the listener or anybody who wants to opt into it to get them the level of love and light that they truly, truly are and always will be. Okay. Well, thank you, Ibrahim. And thank you, everyone, for, thank you, everyone for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.